Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 27 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled, You Are Complete. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Good morning. As we begin this morning, uh, there again in the days of Noah, uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And that uh, topic, uh, that scripture for our topic is kind of a huge, encompasses a huge amount of time here at this end of the age, even though there's an aspect of the end of the age that's been going on now for 2,000 years. See, isn't that amazing? I, so therefore, it could go on for another 2,000 years. For the life of me, I can't figure what we're going to look like if it does. Uh, but it does appear that I can never ignore the fact that Israel is now a, a nation again in her homeland, and that it to me is a big marker, a big prophetic marker, of even though the end times has went on for 2,000 years, that with the nation Israel in its homeland, it's what we call the prophetic clock of God is now ticking again. And uh, so we do know that we're in, I believe, uh, to be the final hour uh, I'm not sure if, if the hands are at 11 o'clock or 11.45, but I think that we are in a specific time uh, of the ages. With that said, God has chosen that we would be born in this specific time. And so it leads me to believe that we have the capacity to overcome offense because that's what's going to be big in this time to love each other uh, greater than ourselves. Uh, even though a lot of these things, to live the Christian life, it can seem an impossible task, uh, we need to be reminded that we've been created for this day, and we do have the capacity to do these things. And uh, if anyone needs to be acquainted with repentance, it's this end-time church of believers, because repentance is what moves us forward, not backwards, but forward. If you want to move forward in the things of God, we need to be very familiar with this supernatural reaction to the truth of God, which is called repentance. And um, I have noticed that I have uh, been using repentance more lately in all honesty than I ever have as I'm trying to align myself with these days that we are in, constantly feeling like I'm a week behind or something uh, in this repentance. And repentance can take on a lot of forms, as we all know. It can be a change of mind, change of direction. Uh, sometimes it's a stop sign. We've reached a stop sign in our thinking. And repentance means I've repented. I don't want to stop at this sign anymore. I want it to turn green and I want to move forward. Uh, in this uh, trajectory of this pathway. So with that in mind, and in the scripture I'm going to use today is we're going to be looking again uh, quickly. We're on this idea of deception. And then we're going into what I, uh, the Bible calls uh, like a great deception. Uh, if you think this deception was a good one, wait till you see the next one. And uh, so let's let's move here as I the time period, we are, are reminded we're living in a time period that is spoken more about than any other time period uh, in the Bible, which is 
the end of the age. It's the last days. It's the, it's the time that we find ourselves. And it also is spoken about uh, more, even including the time of Jesus' life here on this earth. Now, time period of the end times, the gospel of the kingdom includes the return of the king. So as we are, we're finding at the end of the age, as we are preaching or teaching or proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we want to help the poor, we want to pray for the sick, we want to do all of these things, bring people into the saving uh, knowledge of Christ. But with always understanding that what's in that message is the return of the king. And so the return of the king is a big issue. I uh, uh, heard a commentator on some news this past week that was making fun of Christians actually believing that Jesus was coming back again. Yeah, he spent about five minutes on what a joke that was and how funny to him uh, that anybody could believe such a, such a thing. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I, I couldn't believe it either if it wasn't the Holy Spirit within me. That I, that I have been convinced that that is true. So it's obvious he did not have that advantage that I had. The generation of Jesus' return will see an increased darkness and sin, but will also have the greatest outpour in the Spirit. And you say, well, Alan, how can you say that? Well, I, I submit to you, there again, a prophetic language, which is symbols and signs. I, 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 I suggest to you, when is a light its brightest? It's in, it's in the darkness. It's the darker the dark, the lighter the light. And so we see that what light we have will increase as the, it has a greater impact upon darkness than it has at dusk. It's to have a greater impact. And where, uh, as a believer, we need to come up with the scriptures is that we need to realize that our light is brighter now than it has ever been. And uh, to walk in that understanding, uh, I mean, how can I walk in the joy of my salvation without joy? How, how can I walk in the brightness of His coming with, without embracing the light? And without not believing that the light that I carry is very bright in, in the areas of darkness. And, and I know that's mere words. It's my hope that you'll catch what it means. And uh, because all of us, uh, the enemy is constantly trying to demoralize us, to constantly talk us out of who we are uh, in Christ. And, and there again, it's, it's not about who I am. It's about who I am in Christ, right? And so when the enemy talks about who I am, I mean, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not all that. But for some reason, Jesus thinks I am. And, and so I think I'm going to go with his interpretation, and we'll go with him. So to have faith that my light is brighter now in this greater darkness is an act of faith, but it's also an act of trust, and it's also a response to believing what's true. And if we say as a people of God we're going to walk in truth, it's important that we encounter the truth that God is speaking about us. Uh, it's just, a, it's so important if you're flying an airplane for the pilot to be in touch with the power that's powering that plane. It's important that he have hold of the instruments so that he can direct the power of that plane into flight. 
And so it is with us in Christ. And that's partly what we'll be talking about if I'll hush and move on. Now, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed. Now, view it just a little more. In the Greek, you can see it. But it's, this is more, of, as Rio said, it's not a suggestion. It's a pointing a finger at us and said, Let no man deceive you. There are many voices out there. And we went into this some last week. Well, um, well it, this, this, when Paul speaks to the Colossians, about this problem, it's actually in two parts. Last week, we kind of went over the first part, and I'll slightly hit it again this morning just to re remind us, but it's kind of in two parts that the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church. Um, the first one is it talks about uh, the deception, how it works, how it will work, what we're to be mindful of. And then the second part is Paul's response on how we combat these things. So let's look at it as a reminder here right quickly of last week. Paul says to beware, and it's in Colossians, and I've got these different things underlined. He said, beware, unless anyone uh, cheats you, uh, through philosophy, uh, empty deceit, traditions of men, according to the basic principles uh, of, the, of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, so you can see this in Colossians 2.8, he speaks about uh, beware, uh, you're going to, you could be cheated or robbed. He says through philosophy, number two, through deceit, traditions of men, and according to the basic principles of the world. So he speaks about the ways you can be robbed. And then he says, and not according to Christ. Now, after these verses, he gives you what according to Christ looks like. If you're interested, I think it's very intriguing how the Apostle Paul approach this day that we're living in and the spiritual things that are happening, then he says, not according to Christ, and then he'll go into according to Christ. And so as we look at the bewares, he talks about philosophy and, and empty deceit. He says, beware, anybody cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy as a reminder is a study of fundamental na a nature of knowledge, reality, and existence. Deceit is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or uh, mis misrepresenting the truth. So we see that through philosophy that there also, the next thing is deceit, how through great philosophy sometimes um, it's very hard for the pride of man not to get wrapped up in philosophy or our own philosophizing. Uh, uh, it's, I don't know why we do it, but we do. Now, a philosophy boasts saying it has always been the truth. We went over this also last week. Uh, but he says uh, to beware of this philosophy of the traditions of men. Now, I went over it last week and showing how that then uh, that progressivism has taken over our old church houses, you know, the churches and the progressivism is trying. Why did the, why did, why is it? that it's trying to take over our older church buildings. For some reason, progressivism is not in a new metal building very often. It's in Presbyterian churches. It's in Methodist churches. It's constantly trying to take, and the reason it does that in the spiritual world is it's trying to use that as its validation of truth. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? It's very deceitful. 
very, very, very crafty, I would have to say, uh, on the enemy's uh, side of the fence. It's very, and so therefore, if you see all this going on in traditional buildings, traditional uh, churches, then it, it, that is what the traditions of men, what he's re referring to here, it, it's taking on this form, but it's actually taking over real estate, but it's very deceitful in nature. We see in that really happen. It's claiming authenticity by stealing the call, which is old and solid, but without giving the message, which is the supernatural. I mentioned that last week. The call is to everyone that's in sin, you name it. All of us have been there. But that's the call and how the progressivism and that side of, of what's taken on this form of godliness is making the call, but it doesn't have the message. Now, the message we carry, the, the worst thing you can do is make the call and not have the message. I mean, uh, you, you know, I, why in the world have a party and call 100 alligators if you can't pull their teeth, right? Uh, this could be dangerous. And, and likewise, if we call people in, all of us in our sin, we call, our, call us in, and we're not set free and delivered, it can cause a tremendous mess. And uh, so therefore, it is important that we have the true message. Just so happens the true message tends to be hard. Uh, it's guaranteed to be offensive. That's just a sign of a good message. Guaranteed to be offensive and very challenging to your present position. Now, in order to give it credibility, it will give a partial truth, and that's what we see happening. Now, with the demonic origin, it's in Colossians 2.8, and he goes on to say, not only empty deceit, traditions of men, but it says, according to the basic principles of the world. Now, we were just getting into that a little bit last week. According to the basic principles of the world. Now, what happens with the basic principles of the world, with science versus the Bible, if you will. You've always had this clash, this debate, uh, and we know that science discovers some truth. Uh, the, the, the incredible thing to me about science, what little, I'm not a, a science major, minor, or dropout. Uh, I know very little about science, but I do know this much about science. It was, uh, to, to a true scientist, it was great uh, honor in what you were presenting uh, would be critiqued and debated to see if it was true. That was like an honor badge. Okay, here's what I'm presenting as a hypothesis, hoping to create it into a theory, and, and very seldom, but at times you could prove a fact. But at least when the hypothesis was presented, then the honor of the scientific community was it can be challenged. It should be challenged because you're, the, the, the true scientist is a person who is seeking truth. That is that much I do know. And so it's, it's the seeking of the truth, and it's not necessarily claiming as much truth as it is seeking. And so, therefore, the constituencies of, of the scientific community would tend to police themselves because they were constantly critiquing each other. And, but in this day and time, all of that has changed. We've lost it. Everybody says, follow the science, and nobody does. That's what is so just 
Okay, let's follow the science. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. But then you don't, then, then they don't follow the science. So I'm like, we, I just, well, anyway, so it's very deceiving to me. So the, the, according to the basic principles of the world. Now, we have what's also called the Age of Enlightenment. I'll pick on it today a little bit. It, it was a European intellectual movement of the late 17th, 18th centuries, emphasizing reasoning and individualism rather than tradition. It was heavily influenced by 17th century philosophers. So what happened there, we saw a movement of what was called the Age of Enlightenment. It was amazing to me at what a, at that name was <laughs> the Age of Enlightenment, like, uh, trying to take away from the revelations of God. But the Enlightenment movement was a type of people that boasted about the knowledge that could be found in the world. Now, when we get to this, when the Apostle Paul's talking about this, is a, he says it's a problem. It's, it talks about according to the basic principles of the world uh, and not according to Christ. It is often translated here, the principles, as satanic forces. Paul says, beware uh, that all of you... Uh, have received in Christ can be this can all be robbed from you. All right, now I want to move on here quickly uh, for us to see that these principles of the world were satanic forces, and where he says, "Beware, lest anyone uh, cheat you," he is Paul is saying this to beware, and yeah, you know it's amazing. I as I stand up here weekly and talking about ways of deception. Uh, it's like uh, then I can turn on the TV or something like that, and these guys are saying all these wonderful things, and my, mine doesn't sound that wonderful. And so I, I condemn myself a little bit, I guess. I'm like, surely to goodness I can make this a little wonderful or something, you know. And, and you, might, you, you might think I'm kidding. I'm really not. And uh, like, surely to goodness I can show a little bright light. But there is a bright light, but it's more or less at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's, uh, it is there. Um, now, it says false teaching usually has an arrogant sound to it. I thought I'd throw that up there. Have you noticed that? All of a sudden, if it's like it's an arrogant sound to it, is uh, we have to beware. This seems like those go. Uh, I've, it's hard to find uh, a humble, arrogant person. So, Okay. It will have an elitist sound and message. It, it, and so... When we, anytime you get into the elitist or the arrogant sound, it will tend to have an elitist message. Now, that, that's just so important um, because truthfully, the way to the cross is we get down. Truthfully, the humility to move forward in the spirit is not optional. It's a requirement because um, humility causes us to go through this narrow opening of the spirit. And uh, so as you, as you hear this sound of arrogance, just beware, usually there's more of an elitist message coming and that's when somebody is trying to puff you up that you're more of an elite person than another. Uh, it will put you in a position of compromise is what it does. So that's, uh, that's uh, one thing that happens with false teaching. False teaching will usually not have Christ at the center of everything. Now, here we're going to move into the Apostle Paul giving us the revelation of what we do in these times. And he gave all of these reasons of what happens when you're not doing it according to Christ. So here we're seeing 
that we can never waver from the truth when we think we are having the heart of Christ. Now, this happens as, as, as we're going into the next slide. A lot of times what happens is we want to have the heart of Christ for those that need Christ, that need help in sin. Now, so we can say, well, I'm going to have the heart of Christ. Um, but there's a, does everybody identify with what I'm saying? Has anybody ever been an enabler and you shouldn't have been? I mean, it's out of the heart of Christ that we are enablers. Okay, just, just grab hold of that little truth. This one's sneaky, and I'm trying to give us the revelation of it. So we can have the heart of Christ and actually be an enabler thinking that this heart of Christ will get the person over this great gulf of sin. Now, I'm not saying we're not to have that heart, but that's not the answer. Now, now watch this. We must remember that the truth is the heart of Christ. Are you with me? So we have the heart of Christ, of compassion. We have all this stuff, but it's to take him to the truth of the heart of Christ. The love of God is what entices us into the truth. So to entice or to call in based on the love of God and not the truth, what happened with in my day in the hippie generation, they were... They were out there reaching for, or for love, and then it just so happens, uh, then one day a lot of them ran into the truth, you see. And so to have the love of God is wonderful, but the heart of Christ is giving someone the truth. Yeah, are you with me? And that truth sets us free. So we got to be careful that just having the heart, uh, not saying that we're not to operate in that because we are. But our end game is the truth. And it's the truth that truly sets someone free. It's that love that we have for somebody that sets them up to receive the truth. But the truth is what sets us free. That, the heart of Christ is the truth. Are you with me? Now hang on to that concept and that idea of the truth is the heart of Christ. Here we go. Then Paul went on in that verse to say, not according uh, to Christ at the end of it there. He said, uh, what Paul is about to say is according to Christ. So he gave all of that introduction. He said, all of this is not according to Christ. But then he goes on, that's in uh, Colossians 2.8. Then he goes on to what was according to Christ. And so after verse 8, of course, is verse 9 and 10. For in him, this is according to Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that is a tremendously big statement. <laughs> is anybody with me? Do you realize this, what a statement that is? You're like, wow. And ye are what? Complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power. So, so Paul gave all of these things that happen beforehand that are enticing to the flesh and to the mind, philosophy, traditions of the world. He goes through all of these things. And his answer to not being caught up in those things is to have the revelation that you are complete in him. Isn't that weird or is it just me? 
So you mean to tell me that I am to grab hold of a truth that I am complete in him, and if I run after that truth and receive that truth and constantly embrace that truth, it leads me to this idea that I will not fall to these previous things. Isn't that amazing? So to say we're complete in him is not a little phrase. This is not a little dinky thing. This is what it's all about. Now listen, Christ is the center of all things. Christ is the center of all things. We can get up here and philosophize and we can do this or that or the other. And I was talking to uh, a gentleman the other night. I don't know if... Uh, how many of you are familiar with Michael Koulianis? That is Theo Koulianis' brother. Theo actually is coming next Sunday uh, to speak here next at the second service. But Michael Koulianis, and I, I know his father, and we were talking on the phone, and, and uh, Michael uh, had come under, I, I guess you could say a little type of criticism, uh, of that he seeks the presence of God too much. So here's a father, and we're talking back and forth, and I'm like, wow, that's a new slant on things. You know, hadn't thought about that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what Michael uh, tends to do, and you also will see that in Theo somewhat, what they tend to do is they'll worship God until his presence shows up. And, and if the president does, the president doesn't show up for two hours, they'll say, "Amen, go home." With no, with nothing. So anyway, that's but but there again, Michael and Theo both were were uh, platform boys, if you will, with Benny Hinn. They his father was with Benny and worked with Benny, and they, those little boys were growing up on the stage of Benny Hinn, and they they were catchers and they were ushers and is growing up little. So that's their backdrop. And you'll have to say Benny Hinn had the presence of God. The presence wasn't there, nothing happened. And Benny knew that. He got it from Catherine Kuhlman. They, they knew something and know something about the presence of God. And so we can do a lot of learning, teaching. We want to do all of the above. But when the supernatural stuff happens is when the presence of God's in the house. When the presence of God's in your house, in my house, and it's the presence of God that's the deciding factor of what makes this meeting and what makes this book a supernatural book, it's when the one that wrote the book is in the house. And then, and then he says, well, let me show you what I was really meaning when I said that. <laughs> and he's in the house, and, and all this stuff happens, and you, it's just amazing. So... Where was I going with that with Michael? <laughs> but anyway, so, the, so part of the accusation was that he, he, he spends too much time on worship. Uh, and, but yet, uh, I know what he's after is to, that the presence of God's in the house. And uh, so it, it's amazing. Uh, it, and so when we understand that we're complete in him, can anybody hear that? When we are complete in Him and we 
live in that completion, it so happens that the presence of God can indwell in the house more freely. In other words, you're believing God. You're believing His Word that you're complete in Him. And so therefore, it strips us of any selfish ambition. It strips us of everything because it's all about Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's that central theme that we're complete in Him is what Paul's antidote to this disease was in verse 8. Let's continue. It says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, and you are complete in Him. You're complete in Him. We're complete because we have in us the fullness of the Godhead body. That's just, I mean, I say that to you feeling like in my natural man a liar. But in my spirit, man, I know it's true. And uh, if I was speaking to you in a conversation in the hall, I probably wouldn't say it. But when I'm in a podium under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, I, I have to. I'm compelled to. to for, and there's something about us understanding what keeps us safe is understanding and walking in this completeness that's in Him. Could it not be that the more of the completeness truth we walk into, that the more in love with Him we would be? Could it be? I ask the question. Could it be? Could it be? Well, let's go on here and see what else Paul says. He is saying you already have it all in Christ. If you want to know more about God, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> all right, you don't have to have some big mystic. You, Christ said, if you want to see more of God, he said, just look at me. That's what you do. And so therefore, with that statement, I understand more about this completeness. And I'm really trying to wrap my head around this completeness. Um, wow, it throws you in a totally another direction of intellectualism or thinking the more you know, the more godly you are or something. Really, it just jerks a knot in that, doesn't it? Um, false teaching is always giving partial truth or adding something to the truth that is not true. So this completeness in Christ is what's left out of the partial message. No matter what sin we are in, we're understanding come as you are, and we're going to tell you the truth. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine... I mean, I can't imagine any sin in this Bible and from this pulpit, that it doesn't call sin, sin. I, I, I just can't imagine it. Can you, Pastor? I mean, because when you're here, you're, you're under this other thing like, you're really aware God could strike you dead at any moment. I'm not kidding. You feel that? If you're, if you're saying something. You're, so all of a sudden, uh, it's required of the speaker to do this book. And it's with fear and trembling I find myself trying to soften the words that I'm fixing to give, only getting tangled because you got to say what the book says. So I can't imagine us standing here giving the truth of what sin is sin. I'm going to take like homosexuality as an example or whatever, all of those, all of the sexual sins that's out there. I can't imagine us 
endorsing that as being right. I have no problem that if you've got that problem, I get that. Uh, I have no problem that we all have different sin issues. I, I get that. But coming from this podium to the audience, it's important that we say this is sin and this is just sin. This is it's just not right it's, it's in the eyes of God. And, and there's something supernatural about telling that truth that is supposed to do something to the heart of the hearer. Right. Now, now go figure. I mean, it's not an intellectual convincingness. It's when the truth is spoken, all of a sudden they got the wee dee 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 to the supernatural things going hitting the heart of man. That's right? right? Yeah. It's, it's a Holy Spirit will take it, but we've got to go through this, this uh, natural calisthenics, if you will, to proclaim the truth. And then that truth once spoken turns supernatural and can hit then hit the heart of man. That's all. That's, that's the way this thing works. So here we go. He says, you are complete in him. Now he goes on here, 9 and 10, for in him uh, dwelleth all the fullness. You are complete in him. And he goes on to say this, your completeness is because he is complete. Yeah, that's, you must have read my notes. Complete means having no deficiency, but you're, but perfect. That's a little hard for us to handle, isn't it? Uh, so in Christ, if I'm living my life in Christ, when I sin or say something I shouldn't or go, it's obvious that I'm not in Christ in that moment. Would you not agree? But it also means that I could be in Christ and not do that in other moments. Right. So, the religious spirit was wanting to add to this message. In Colossians 2.11, as we go into the next verse, it says, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So here we see... I am constantly trying to not do this particular sin, but yet I keep doing it. So is the issue the sin, or is the issue me not stepping into this completeness of Christ? Do I need further revelation of this completeness is the point of the Scripture. Greater revelation of the completeness that is in Christ. Now he goes on to say this. Goes into the baptism. And we're going, yeah, that's a prophetic picture, actually. Is a picture of his perfect work in us. That's what the baptismal waters are. It, it shows us, it, and, and it is a type and a symbol of this completeness. That's what the baptism is. That's the reason I am embrace and I'm all for for people to get baptized as much as you feel compelled to because it just reminds us of this completeness that we have in Christ. It says we're buried with Him in baptism. You're also risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. Now understanding this is Colossians 2.12, right after 2.8. This is part of this understanding of the completeness. So as we're on this little journey, I say, okay, God, you're saying that completeness 
for me to walk in this completeness. Now, when we run into teachings that says you have this deficit, but if you'll do as I do or follow my mystical teachings, then you can be more complete, then we, uh, okay, Houston, we got our problem, right? To a believer that understands and walks in the fullness of the completeness cannot be led astray. So therefore, rather than discuss all of these false teachings, all of these false stuff of these end times, it would be easier for me, especially with my IQ, to learn one thing than it would be a hundred. <laughs> the one thing is my completeness. That's good. And then that completeness, which you'll see as we continue, that completeness and the walking in the revelation of that completeness is what keeps us. Good. Can somebody say a man glory? To walk in that revelation, that's one thing to say it and it hit the brain and it's another thing for it to have revelation in the heart. Right? And we're going to, so understand now, Paul says this in verse 12 right after verse 8, 9, and 10 as a revelation and, I, and you can just read it and you're like, well, how, how does that, here's what happens. If you read this verse, you need to take this verse, you need to go home, you need to tear it apart. You need to tear it apart. You've got every tool at, uh, at your disposal. It's never been this many tools to tear that verse apart as there is in this day and time. Because so, this is a, it's a big verse. It's a huge verse. Buried with him in baptism. Everybody get that one. Buried with him in baptism. In other words, you're buried. The old man's being what? You're being, you're being, you're buried with him. Wherein also ye are what? risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Not your operation, but it's God's operation. So the enemy is constantly trying to get us to walk in this old man sin mess to where we are enjoying the completeness of Christ. Did you know, would you consider that there's more fun in completeness than there is sin? Could there be? I feel like we, I hate to put it in these terms, but I feel like we've got a great big spiritual redeemed Disney World that our hands are not playing in it. <laughs> I did put in the word redeemed. Lest I be corrected. So we got this, please hear me. I know this is the truth based on the studies that I've done. And I do not, I cannot exhaust Completeness in Christ. It's probably inexhaustible. But this I will tell you. One of the greatest revelations of these end times is understanding the completeness that we have in Christ and embracing it and walking in it. So, and it says, who has raised him from the dead? So, it, so you see, completeness Embracing the revelation of completeness in Christ is what engage to 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 be in that revelation of this completeness is to have the presence of God in your life actively, and it's in that active presence of God that the supernaturalness of the kingdom can be expressed in power. That's good. In power. 
I'm not there yet. But I can see the road signs. Right now I'm pulling a hill, but that just guarantees me there's a downhill on the other side. So, here we go. Now he goes on to say, he talks about this completeness in Christ. And then he goes on to say this, uh, he gives a word for a religious spirit that could be out there. It's in 14 and 15. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or of a new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Can somebody say that's complete in Christ? And so, and so that's what he, Paul was saying that because of the religious spirit that he was, that he was coming against. And this religious spirit is only needed in the lack of completeness. Completeness is another dimension. It's another level. A lot of the old monks that preserved the Word of God down through the ages understood completeness. Completeness, I will to God. And I'm going to have to stop on that verse. What's my one coming? Uh-oh, missed it's going wrong. That's what we're going to pick up next week, if you're willing. The completeness in Christ, I hope that you're capturing what I feel as though the Holy Spirit would have me bring this morning as we're moving forward in these last days. Now, I do ask and pray, really and truly, I'm very serious here, that you pray for Dr. Craig when he comes up here. There again, the, what he's teaching is by design. It's what we're convinced is designed of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, there again, uh, Trevor gives enough information it'll choke a big horse at times. <laughs> But but you can you can capture it there again. Go back and get the notes online. Uh, but his mandate is to shoot this information out to us, and uh, also. But just I just pray, ask you to be in prayer. He's talking about fallen angels. This cannot go unnoticed in the heavenlies. Okay, I'm just saying this is this cannot go unnoticed. So Trevor, be encouraged. Yeah, yeah. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, anything that I've said is not of you. I pray that it will fall to the ground. But if I've said that and been obedient to what's in the Scripture, I pray, oh God, that the, our completeness in Christ could be revealed to our hearts, yes, that it might open the windows of heaven. Lord Jesus, our completeness, we ask and pray that it would draw your presence even this morning that we would press into your presence yes. because we're completing you and you've given us permission to worship till your presence comes. I pray that it'll not be a hard thing this morning, but because your word is true, it'll come easy to us that you might be glorified. We're so honored, oh God, that you allow us to come together as a people the people that are running and discovering our completeness 
that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be to this earth what you have called us to be in the fullness of your purpose for your sake. And I got a feeling, oh God, we're going to have more fun in your purpose than we could in our own dreams. So be with us this morning, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.